Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. This is our scripture study podcast. Uh, we just walk through the scriptures and point out things that um, we really like and that she really loves. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And then, uh, anyways, things we think you don't want to miss. So we're in the New Testament this year. We are uh, in Matthew 11 and 12 and Luke 11. That's where we're at today. And this is rad. We're calling this one rest and hopefully that speaks to your spirit it speaks to mine so much mine just, too and it feels like um oh i don't know relevant yeah it's so like, oh, relevant right now actually what i want yeah and and like i want to actually learn how to obtain rest because rest sounds so nice to me but i'm not sure like where it actually fits in my life like yeah. what does it look like right right and it kind of feels like rest seems a, a really quick easy like, oh take a nap but then like someone not at rest won't get rest yes in a nap that's so <laughs> you know true. it's just like oh there's just something that agi- like i'm agitated i'm whatever and i wonder if it's like a learned behavior um that we actually have to schedule into life yeah i think so i actually think that's true yeah I mean, we saw that in one of the first lessons that we did with Jesus, where he's just like, oh, I actually start the morning. In a solitary yeah, place. Yeah, I have to. Like, yeah. It's like required of me to do something like that. I remember um, one time as, a, as when I was a bishop counseling this person who was seeking rest. Um, that's sort of what the conversation was about. And as she was talking about things or whatever, I was like, oh, like, I was like, you are actually reading my mail, what you're doing, because like, I don't know how you know so much about what's happening inside of me. That's my same exact life. And the prompting that came to me to say really clearly was, um, your life needs margins. And right when I said it, the spirit said to me, that advice was actually for you mm. probably as well. But it was just like this, like, oh, it really does. Like it needs like spiritual margins, yes. time margins, you know, just space. It needs yeah. space, you know? And so we feel like in these these chapters is Jesus is, you know, really he's called his disciples and I and I, it's almost as if he's tutoring them in Yeah, this. how to find rest. And as we go through, uh, you might have noticed by now that we do things in segments. Uh, we're doing that for two reasons. First of all, so that you could maybe have a daily experience in your scriptures if that's something you feel drawn to. But also, the New Testament is one of our favorite places to teach from. We love the stories, and we don't want to short you on any of them. And so you'll notice the length of the entire lessons, this first half of the New Testament, are going to feel a little bit longer minute-wise. But they're in segments, so you can, like, Go at it at your own pace. We just don't want you to miss something amazing in one of the stories. So this one, we're going to go through five segments. We're going to talk about finding rest and maybe what would help lead to um, rest. And each of the segments are going to have a topic. So the first one is going to be about deep trust, how that leads to rest. The second one is going to be about grace and rhythms of grace that will lead to rest. The third one is going to be Sabbath and how 
like really living in Sabbath is going to create seasons of rest, like planned into your actual week. The fourth one is going to be prayer. Why would prayer help lead to a life of rest? And then the last one is going to be obvious, but it's just Jesus, that when we invite the Lord into our life, we're going to experience more rest. So if one of those you feel particularly drawn to, um, those will be the segment topics that we're going to be going through. Yeah, but we named them something cooler. Okay. Okay. So the first, well, <laughs> you know, just like built everyone up for like, this is not that cool, but the story is really rad. So the first one we're starting at is here in Matthew 11. And this question is a question. Um, Emily said this section is going to kind of be about deep trust. And trust only happens when you actually know somebody and you have experiences with them. Um, trust can't be based off of assumption, right? It has to be based off of experience. And it's a, a little bit tangible in some ways, like when you're talking about experience, like you have to have tangibly or, or real life like experienced that that person will not fail you right? Um, right. in order to have that deep kind of trust. So this story is actually a story of um, Jesus and John the Baptist, which they've got history, you know, at this point in the Gospels. Like, I mean, we can go all the way back to when Mary first comes to Elizabeth and John is jumping in the belly, you know, where he's just like, he's loved him from pre-birth. And, and the baptism, and he's a forerunner for them. And like a lot of Bible scholars think that they're cousins, they're related in some way to each other. And so there's a lot of history between them. When you get into Matthew 11, what's happened is John's a little bit outspoken and he's um, super bold in what he says. And he's spoken out against the king, against Herod and says like, you're actually not allowed to marry your sister-in-law. Um, and he's pretty vocal about it. And that's just a major no-no in those times. Like you just, the kings, the royal families, they're, they're untouchable, right? The leaders are. And he's, so he's in prison at this point in the story. And it says in one, um, starting in chapter 11, that Jesus, you know, was preaching in all these cities. And John in verse two had heard in the prison the works of Christ. And he sent two of his disciples. And the question that he sends them with is, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And initially you read this and you're just like, wait, what do you mean? Are you actually him? Like you jumped in the belly. You've known this since you were a baby. You prepared you the way. Yeah, you stood in the river and you heard the voice of God like speak. Like, of course this is him. But this, I don't think can be overstated, even though I think a lot of us are pretty familiar with this kind of talk that... Um, they were expecting a different kind of Messiah, right? They didn't, you know, they, they had in their mind, this is what the Messiah will look like. This is what the Messiah will do. This is what the Messiah will be. And he's not experiencing that right now. John's not experiencing what he expected that Jesus was going to be. Probably because he's in jail mm -hmm. and he's jailed by Herod. And in his mind, he's just like, wait a second, your job was supposed to topple Herod. Your job was supposed to get rid of any kind of persecution against God's people. Like, yeah, you actually be poor. No, anymore. yeah, you you actually should have come, and I should not be behind bars. Come in and be the Messiah you're supposed to be, and knock out the Herod family. Take me out of prison. That's actually who you are supposed to be. Yeah. And Jesus replies back and he says, I want you to go and show John again those things which you have heard and seen. 
Namely, verse 5, he says, that the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Go and remind him who I actually am. Well, and I love this thought too, as it happens, because John is like, I, I don't, now I'm getting nervous that he might not be the one because what's he even doing? Yeah. Right. And, and I'm expecting deliverance out of prison. I'm expecting the government to be overhauled. I'm expecting the church to be overhauled. That's what I'm expecting. And when those two come to Jesus and they're like, are you really him? Jesus could have just said to them, yes, go back and tell John, I'm really him. He could have said that. Yeah. And, and like, and, and also I'm Jesus. So he needs to trust me. If I say I'm him, he needs to trust me. Go back and tell him I'm him. But I love that he doesn't say that to them. He's like, okay, stay with me for a few days. And I want you to watch and I want you to listen. That's what I need you to do. I want you to watch and listen what is happening. And then you go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. And I love that what Jesus is saying is, okay, if you'll just sit with me for a minute and watch, you're going to learn, I actually am delivering people. I actually am healing people. I actually am having conversation about church things. I'm doing my work. But if I just tell you I'm doing my work, you're not going to trust that I'm doing my work. Yeah, and, but if you and, experience it, then you're going to go back to John and be like, okay, John, this is what actually is happening. Yeah. And I really like that invitation that it's one of like, Jesus is almost saying, don't fit me into the box that you feel like I should fit in. But instead, I want you to observe me. Yeah. And that's who I am. Well, and experience yeah. me. Like right. it was going to require that tangible, like what you were talking about earlier. They were going to have to experience Jesus for themselves and then go back to John and say, okay, this is what we saw. This is what we heard. This is what we feel. I think it is him, you know, yeah. just looking different than we thought it was going to look. Right, right. And, I, and I, I just really, really like that because sometimes I think even within our own culture, we have like, no, 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 this is how Jesus is and this is what Jesus does and this is who Jesus likes and this is who Jesus hates. And it's yeah. just like, why well, don't you erase all of that? people to believe on our word, right. like, on our word right. instead of on his yeah. word. Yeah, well said. Super well said. So I feel like I love that this opens up. And it's kind of cool in the next couple of verses that we won't spend too much time on in seven through nine. He kind of like says to everybody about John. He's like, what did you expect him to be? Yeah. Did you expect him to be of a royal family? Did you expect that he would have all of these things? He says, no, 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 no. Remember, he was so different than what you thought a typical, you know, like leader was going to be. And he's yeah. like, same, right? Yes. So the invitation is, Come to know who I actually am, and then you can trust yeah, me. Yeah, and experience. And I think right. sometimes that word trust is tricky to figure out, and it actually is so important in a faith journey. It's really important well, to learn synonyms. how to Well, I would navigate. say, like, a faith journey is a trust journey. That's yes, what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that's part of what you're learning. So if you don't understand trust really well, then it's hard to put your faith into that relationship. 
And um, I learned that many years ago. When my grandma died, they let all the grandkids come and they had laid out some of just her most precious stuff on these tables in her house. And we got to go and put our names on little yellow sticky notes of what we wanted. And one of the things that I just felt super drawn to was this vase, which I love. It just, my grandma was like elegant. She just had this elegant flair to mm. her personality and um, kind of quiet and reserved, but there, you just felt elegance, refined elegance when you were with her. And this reminded me of her. So I brought this home and um, it's obviously super precious to me, like irreplaceable. Um, even though you could probably find something really similar to it on eBay, but for me, because it was my grandma's, hers, yeah, I love yeah. it so much. And so I reserved the use of it for one time a year. And um, if you don't know this about me, peonies are like my all-time favorite flower in the world. Like in the whole world, there's nothing that even comes close to a peony or a peony, depending on which part of the United States you live in. And in my yard, a I- A peony? Yes. Who's it, calling it that? In the South. No, they don't. Yes, peonies, everybody. I want to give you David's- <laughs> text phone number so you can tell him that that is true it's a horrible name and um so in my yard i have like 60 peony plants that's how much i love them and if you don't know this about them they only bloom once a year and it's about the end of may beginning of june depending on the weather usually june in utah is when we get our best blooms and my neighbors probably don't even know I have peony plants in my front yard because as soon as they come up, I cut all of mine down and I fill my entire house with them. There's one that goes by my bed. There's some that go in the kitchen. I put them by my bathtub. They're like, my entire house is the peonies. I love them. I will carry them around with me and just breathe them in. That's how much I love them. And... Um, Tell I us always more put about how much some, you love them. I love them. I always put some <laughs> in this space right here. Um, a big bouquet of them. And it's my favorite one. Of all the ones in my whole house, this is my favorite. And one year when I had cut them and I had put them up, I used to have in my living room this huge shelf. And that was really popular, those big shelves. And they kind of had a lot of room you could put stuff on them. And I remember thinking, I'm going to put this right in the middle of that shelf because it'll be so pretty. Um, right there when you walk in it's the first thing that you'll see and I went to put them up there and when I did I looked at the back of the shelf and I hadn't realized but it doesn't sit flush on the wall it tips like it's barely hanging onto the screws and it was big like and heavy and when I saw it like I was like oh, I hope this stays on the wall forever but immediately in my mind I was like I can't put this on there because I actually don't trust that shelf mm -hmm. I don't trust it so I'm not going to put something that feels super precious to me on that shelf because I don't trust, I don't have faith that that shelf will hold this. And it made me realize that part of rest. I am not going to rest on something I don't trust. Yeah. I'm not going to. And I think it's interesting because in our generation, it's really common for people... Um, but maybe my age and older to talk about, just put that on the shelf, just leave it on the shelf. And eventually your faith that you'll find the questions, you'll find the answers, you'll just put it on the shelf. And in that moment, that analogy was ruined for me because I was like, I actually don't trust that shelf at all. 
and I'm not going to put something precious to me on the shelf. I'm going to, I'm going to rest this on something I actually trust. Mm. And so for me, when I have questions, when I have doubts, when I have things that I'm wrestling through, um, and people talk about, I, I just put that on the shelf. I'm like, oh, not me. I put that on Jesus. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to put that on something I actually trust, like completely. I'm going to put this on him and he's going to help me navigate that and work it out and see it through. And I trust him to do that. And it might not be overnight. It might be in eight years from now, but I trust him with those precious things that I'm wrestling out. I actually trust him with those. Yeah. And hopefully this doesn't mix the analogy because there's something really important about this story, which is, listen, you expected me to be this. And if I'm not that, that will actually lead some people to not trust me. For example, like John could have had in his mind, followers of Jesus don't go to jail. Mm -hmm. One of the hallmarks of the Messiah is he keeps trouble out of people's lives. And if he believed that and went to jail, he would actually stop trusting Jesus. Yeah. And it's because he believed something wrong about him, which is why Jesus was like, this has to come through personal experience. You yes. actually can't base this off of your assumptions about me. And scripture is such a great place to, like, I think this story is so valuable to come into it and, and to see a faithful follower of Jesus, someone intent on being his disciple, like struggling through this a little bit. Yes. Like, and like, hold on, hold on. Let me, you know, think about this. And and he's actually going back in scripture. It's like Elijah's and, story. He's like, hold on, this is what I thought. And yes. working through like, who is he actually, you know, in order to put his trust in him, right? Yeah. Because like, there are a lot of people who are just like, I thought I thought we were meant to have joy in this life. That's what well, that verse says. And, and don't you love this about it? That he's obviously sitting there in his cell working that through. And where does he take the question? Yeah, to Jesus. That's so awesome. Yeah, he takes it straight to him. He's like, go ask him, are you he that is going to do this for us? And I just think and, there's a really important pattern there for us to be like, if you have doubt, if you have questions, if you have things that you are wrestling through, we learn right here, take it to Jesus. That Don't put it on a shelf. Well, Take like, it to Jesus. And and to like be okay with that. Like, help me work through this. Yeah. Will you help me? Like, Because John's going to actually die. Right. In prison. Right. Like that's never going to be resolved for him. And is Jesus still John's savior in that situation? And John's going to might wrestle through that all the way until the other side of the veil. Yeah. Right. So this is a really powerful story in just that first kind of, how do I find rest? It's like, oh, I, it, rest comes in trusting him and trust comes from experience with him. him. Yeah, yeah, experiencing him. Experiencing him. Um, okay, this so next good. story, it's in that same mm. chapter there, um, just toward the end of it. And um, this is going to be something that you're super familiar with. You've heard this, these words spoken before and this promise spoken before, and uh, you're going to love it. Yeah, I, this is one of my very favorite stories in all of scripture. And it's because of an experience that I had many, many years ago when our son Joshua was diagnosed with diabetes. And I don't think I've ever heard you call him Joshua. 
before. Oh, really? Yeah, I felt like he was in trouble. Yeah, Josh, our son Josh was diagnosed with diabetes when he was three, and it was a really dark time in our family. It just was hard. Any of you who know a young child who's been diagnosed with diabetes, every mom I talk to describes it the same way. Mm. Um, and watching our Maria go through a diagnosis of cystic fibrosis has been a super similar experience. So I think anyone out there who has received, like John, a, a sentence that you didn't necessarily want to be part of your mortality would lean into this um, these verses because there are going to be times in your life when you get what you didn't want. That just is true. And that was a time for us. And part of the hardest part for us, for me particularly as a mom, was watching other women my age who were getting what I wanted and, and me not. Being able to have that was really hard and sad and Things that were fun and happy for them were actually not fun and happy at our house. They were saving up money for trips to California. We were saving up money for diabetes supplies. That's what our life looked like. They were picking the kindergarten teacher that was gonna be darling and cute and creative and send the funnest stuff home. I was picking a kindergarten teacher who I knew was really like, could stick to a schedule and wouldn't forget Josh's snack so he wouldn't have a seizure in the middle of school. Like my life was so opposite of everyone else's life. And Josh was not a happy three-year-old. Who wants to be poked six times a day and given a shot every time you eat? And like, well, I remember the most of Josh's three-year-old year is blood and tears. Mm. That's it. That's what I remember. It just was not a happy year. And by the end of the year, it, I was in a really dark, dark place. And I can remember one night laying in my bed after everybody had gone to bed and I had learned that the best time to cry was when everyone else was sleeping because then people thought you were like getting better if they didn't have to witness what you were carrying. And I, I had just sobbed for like two hours. And I remember thinking what my life felt like is every morning I just woke up and next to my bed, there was like a backpack filled to the brim of rocks and I would just pick it up in the morning and I would put it on and I would just shoulder through the day. That was my mm. life every single day. And I can remember that night just begging for the rest that is found in Matthew 11, like begging, pleading. I had not slept for a year. I was so nervous about what was going to happen with Josh's health in the middle of the nights. I was like, physically exhausted, spiritually exhausted, emotionally exhausted. Like I for real life just needed rest. I just needed rest. And this scripture in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I remember just being so desperate for that rest. And as I prayed and pleaded for it, what happened in the middle of that night is I actually felt the spirit of the Lord enter my room that night. And I felt strength that I had not experienced in that entire year leading up to that moment. Like, a tangible strength. 
so tangible that I can remember thinking to myself, if I don't say amen, maybe this, this won't leave me. And so I didn't, I, I never even ended that prayer. I was like, I just have to have this. And it was the sweetest night of sleep I had had in a year. And the next morning I bent down and picked up that pack of rocks and put it on, but I could navigate it better. And I can remember what got me through those really dark days was knowing the night would come and uh, and I would plead every night I pled this scripture. This is what I pled. Give me that rest. And for years, I didn't say amen in my nighttime prayers. Hmm. Like for years, it became my tradition not to end because I didn't want, I needed him to sit with me while I slept. I needed that. And I, for some reason, I just had this like sweet, naive assurance that he was. Mm. all night long and that he would wake me if there was a need that I needed to attend to. And, um, I did, I did, I was woken up in the moments where I needed to be. And I think when we think about this rest, when I, um, for years after tried to capture, what was that strength? Because you could say it felt like love, but it wasn't love. And you could say it felt like hope, but also it wasn't hope and it for sure felt like peace, but it wasn't peace. And it was decades later that I began a study of grace, the word grace. In the Bible dictionary, it tells us that is an enabling strength beyond our own. And I think in my life, those nights were the first time I had actually experienced grace, Mm. like tangible strength beyond my own. And it makes me love this. Um, we love how this scripture is worded. And that woman, I, I just keep thinking about that woman from last time. Yes. Where like there was that virtue left him, but yes. she would say, but power came in. Yes. Is what strength. I experienced. Strength, like strength came, came in. in. Yeah. Yes. And, and that for me is grace. Um, and I think I love uh, we love a paraphrased Bible called the message. A paraphrased Bible is when somebody actually reads the Bible and then writes it in words easier to understand. Um, that's why it's called paraphrased. Um, some people do this actually when they read their scriptures. You might be familiar with that study. Anthony Sweat talks about it a lot. I know um, a Desert Book had a journal where they used to have you doing this, where they would say, okay, rewrite this verse in your own words. That's what a paraphrased Bible would be. And these verses in that paraphrased Bible are so good. Yeah, we'll put them up right here. I actually have them right here. It says this, starting in, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. This starts in that 28. And it says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And one of the things I really love about this too is another kind of burden that people carry or yoke that they carry. I learned recently that it was common in Jesus's day to talk about the yoke of Torah or the yoke of law. And that like some people thought the best way to come to know God 
is by the intense study and living and execution of the law down to its minute, like mm -hmm. smallest yeah. things. And we'll see an example of that in the next story. And then there are a lot of people who feel another kind of burden, which is like, I'm not good enough. Like, I can't get this right. And they're burdened by like, is this, is this allowed? Am I allowed to do this? Is this against the word of wisdom? Is this a full tithing? Yeah. Is this a... Yeah, you have you know, that. Is this, and then you know? you, but you also have the expectation that you set in your mind that is unreal on you. Right. You don't... No one else has to live it like that, but you set an expectation that you have to live it. Yeah, and like I love that. that if you go back a couple of verses, Jesus like just bursts out in 25 in this prayer and he says, I thank you, Father, <laughs> because you've actually hid some of these really good things from those who are like super like intense on this and you've revealed them to kids. And he says in 27, the way to learn the father is to live as a kid. Like, and then this verse is like, are you, like, are you so tired and worn out of like getting everything right? Religion requires this. And he's just like, be a kid. Will you just be a kid? Like, and I, come and I to love me, this part like, too. hang out, like, yeah. The, unforced yeah, be be yeah, with just, me yeah and i love this part too because we can't think like in my situation turning to jesus was not going to make the diabetes go away it wasn't and i love when you read it in this version where he's like i won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you was i experiencing something heavy yes that is true um that is our mortality to walk through that together. But I love thinking about it when you are yoked with someone that really that heavy thing is behind me. I'm gonna have to pull it, but I'm not gonna carry it by myself if I choose this path. I'm gonna, we're gonna pull that heavy thing together. And I love that thought of him saying, I'm not, I'm never gonna lay something on you that you are going to have to tackle by yourself. That's not the way I do things. Well, and I think it comes back to that first story of learning to trust who he actually is because you could have lived all of those years thinking like God gave me this. Yes, like, instead of it, mortality. Mort yeah, mortality. Gave and he says like this. I actually don't do that. You know? And then in the sense where I'm talking about where it's like there are some people who view him as a cop who's driving behind them just waiting for them to mess up yeah. on any of the traffic laws. And he's like, I'm actually not like that. I don't that. do that either. I don't do that either. Like I, you can keep company with me. That's such a, yeah. that's a Southern word that's better than yes. PP or whatever you said. <laughs> but, but like, this is awesome. Keep company with me. And like, you'll learn how to live like this. And And it's so interesting because his hallmark is obedience. He's not like saying like, ignore all law yeah. and ignore, like that's like, he actually, but he's just like, you can actually live this as a kid who trusts their father lightly and freely. And like, I'm going to get it. We're going to get this right. Yes. We're going to like experience this together. It's yeah. such an awesome, it's, these are some of the well, best verses. Well, and I love verses. too, when I read this, yo, cause I'm in my mind too, I'm, I tend to read sometimes literally I love figuratively first, but there's part of me that then is like, what is the yoke? What actually is the yoke? Because I actually want to take the yoke. So what is it? And one time when I was reading this, um, I got to that end part where he talked about my burden is light. And for some reason, it made me want to go to Mosiah 18. Um, do you remember when it says, when we enter into that covenant of baptism or 
covenant relationship with him, we promise that we will comfort those who stand in need of comfort, mourn with those that mourn, and bear one another's burdens that they may be light. light. Mm. That's what we covenant to. And I love that he's like, here, this is my yoke. I will mourn with you. I will comfort you. I will bear the burden with you. That heavy thing, I'm going to do that with you so that it actually will be light. That's covenant relationship. This is covenant relationship. And the beauty of covenant relationship is that grace, that place where you are not enough, whether it is a midnight uh, plea in a bedroom in Draper. Uh, I actually cannot do this that I have been handed. My mortality, I, I actually can't do this. It is that grace that comes in, that unforced rhythm of grace that comes into that space, whatever that heaviness is, and, and maybe it's an illness, but maybe it's also a perfectionism, perfectionism yeah. mentality that he's like, oh, here, let me bring you strength and then teach you, I'll tell you where to turn the corners. I'll tell you how far we're going to go today. I will pace us and I will help us get through this heavy thing together. Yeah. And it's not, which we're going to again see in the next story, the opposite of unforced rhythms of grace would be like forced, like, um, what do you say? Like math equations. Of yeah. This is how you do it. And he's just like, ah, 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 stop, stop living like an adult. Yeah. Be a kid, you know? Yes. And like, just like live in a trusting, like yeah. living relationship like this. And I just want to say, I think this is really important what you said that like, well, something that's unique about restored Christianity, Latter-day Saint theology is that entering into a covenant relationship is a plea for grace. That's what it is. When little Caleb got baptized, my youngest, we were talking about that beforehand, and we kind of came up with a family that's like, okay, the, the, the whole idea of getting baptized or entering into covenant is, Caleb, even though you might not know this as an eight-year-old, is saying, I can't do life by myself. Yeah. I'm choosing to do life with you. And that's what entering into yes. a covenant means. Which I love so much. And, and part of what I love is we've talked about, like, you have to learn to trust someone, deep trust. Um, second, you have to allow grace to be part of your mortal story. Um, but I love too, you have to get to know him. And that is part of what the Sabbath is for, is actually getting to know him and like a true picture of him and who he is, which is such a great conversation with what we're on right now, because in those days, the Sabbath for them was more about rule than relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very rule driven. Um, like you can take this many steps. Uh, you can't use this. You can't, um, you know, there just were so many things. This is exactly what the Sabbath has to look like by rule, which is so interesting because I think part of what he tried to do was break out and be like, I'm going to actually teach you what the Sabbath looks like by relationship Yeah, and, and what that might look like, which we kind of see um, when he goes through, and, and actually in Matthew 12, verse 10, um, there's going to be that moment where there was a man who had his hand withered and Jesus is going to heal him. And people are going to say, wait, is it lawful to actually heal on the Sabbath day? And I, I love that thought of like, shouldn't the Lord do his best work on his day? Yeah. 
And it makes you think when you read that question, you're just like, oh, hold on, hold on. If you're thinking it in relationship sense, you're just like, the fact asking that question means, oh, you ha- I don't think you've gotten this at all. Yes. Is that allowed to make someone's life better on the Sabbath? And you're just like, what? Wait a second. You know, why wouldn't it be? Like, yes. Let's back up a little bit and really understand what this day is, you know, what its purpose is, right. you know? And our, our word for the week is um, word. Yeah, it is our word of the week poster, <laughs> but it's his names this year, <laughs> is Lord of the Sabbath. And, oh, we forgot to say, the name of this is Shabbat Shalom, which is in Israel. That is the greeting that people give uh, on the Sabbath day. But really it starts like the day before, like it's Christmas. Like when you buy something from a store, like before Sabbath even starts, it's like saying Merry Christmas at Christmas time. Like yeah. Once it gets close, close to it, people are just like, they love it. There's like yeah. Shabbat Shalom. And, and so you I, love being in Israel because you just want to say that. And everyone you pass wants to that's how they wish say it. you that. Yeah, they really do. Which means Happy like, Sabbath. Yeah, and Sabbath, Sabbath peace. Yeah. yeah. So I had to put Shalom up here for the word study because Shabbat, and means like a time of repose, like a pause, uh, an intermission. But I love this, that this is what they're wishing upon you in that day. What I'm wishing for you on the Sabbath is peace and harmony and wholeness. Like that was the intent of the gift. And we pulled over Mark's version of this story for um, the poster, the scripture that we have on the poster. Um in Mark 2, is it? Can you see yeah. behind you too? Mark, Mark 2, 2 27 and 28. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Or in other words, the way I translate this in my head is like, we didn't have kids so that someone would play with the toys. We bought toys for the kids that we have. Like God didn't invent the Sabbath and then have children so that someone would live his law. But he had children and then said, what gift can I give these kids that will make their lives more fulfilling, that will give them more peace, harmony, and wholeness? And the answer to that was a Sabbath. And I love that it is an intermission where we should be experiencing peace, harmony, and wholeness one day a a week. And is that what your Sabbath looks like. And I think it's really interesting to just talk about for a minute. I love when you were talking about Christmas because in our family, we actually did this when we had teenagers because we would do that thing. And and hopefully this is true in more of your homes than mine, where my kids would be like, oh, is tomorrow Sunday? You know, where they just were like, oh, you know, and that doesn't ever happen at Christmas. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody is ever like, Oh, Christmas. It's tomorrow Christmas. <laughs> it, that never happens. Everyone, you're like counting down the days. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, I actually want that to be true of every Sunday for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Where I am like, oh, I love the Sabbath the same way I love Christmas. And so we actually sat down as a family and I was like, what is it you love about Christmas? Like, just list it out for me because that is a high holy day. Um, Easter is the same. Those are high holy days, which the Sabbath in the Lord's eyes also is this high holy day. Holy day, we've turned into a word that means holiday, right? Christmas holiday is actually holy day. And the Sabbath is meant to be that holiday. So I was like, maybe we're doing it wrong. 
Like maybe we're not approaching it in the right way. And so we sat down and talked about what is it that makes Christmas Christmas for like our family. And as we talked about it, we talked about we have traditions we anticipate that are reserved specifically for that day. We have pajamas that we give, we hang stockings, there's certain music that we listen to at Christmas, and we know it. It's our Christmas playlist. There's foods that we eat specifically at Christmas. Yeah. Like if we yeah. actually didn't have them, my kids would be like, wait, Where's wait, the, yeah, 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 why are we not having this? We do evil skeevers or we'll do sourdough pancakes. And that is just like, you. it's not Christmas if you didn't do that thing. Th- these are the reasons we gather are those things. And so I wrote them all down so my kids could actually see them. And then I was like, okay, replicate this for Sunday. I want you to look forward to it the same way you look forward to Christmas, which was so fun to watch them like Mm. mind shift in that moment. And I was like, I'm open to anything. You create what the Sabbath is going to look like for our family. And, And we did talk about awe and respect yeah and and revering and and revering like that is going to be part of this day but within that dynamic and because he did give sabbath guidelines so that the day would reach its intent yes right where he's like yeah but don't you the problem with the pharisees was you're so interested in the guidelines and not the intent you're right and the intent and it was so fun for my kids i wrote some of them down and i just want to share some in case you want to do this at your house But like I said to my kids, what is something that would actually you would look forward to? Taking a walk, baking cookies. The year Grace was home all by herself, we baked cookies every Sunday after church. I actually looked forward to, and we were going to learn new recipes while we were together. Um, Sitting on the lawn in the shade on a summer afternoon. My kids know if they are here on Sabbath, we will do that for at least an hour. That's just tradition for us now. We know we do that. Um, there there are all of those things that we just sat down. I was like, what is our playlist? What is our, um, what are our traditions? What do we wear? Um, you know, I grew up in a home where you stayed in your church clothes all day. We talked about like, what do we want to wear? And what's that going to signify for us? We dress in clothes that you actually wouldn't go out in because it reminds us, oh, this is a stay in day Mm. for our family. Mm. This is a time when we are like, you know, just doing what we do. And I love that thought of like, what if the Sabbath was intentional? What if it actually, you were creating something intentional. One thing that we love about Israel is going to see the, um, what happens on the night before the Sabbath, which it would be awesome if you talked about going down to the wall. I mean, I just think that my first experience there and then every other one since then has changed the whole way that I view the Sabbath, beginning with really when people were call out Shabbat Shalom, like like it's Merry Christmas, like all day. I was like so intrigued by the fact that I was like, wait, everybody's talking about Sunday like they like it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I was like, this is so interesting. And then there are um, there is a tradition if you live in Jerusalem or near, people will drive in because they want to welcome in the Sabbath at their holiest spot in in the world, which is um, the, the Western wall, the, the remaining foundations of the temple, which they consider like, this is the spot where God even began creation is right here in the spot. And, and people will come in and it will be jam packed in there. And the night begins as people are praying and there's quiet and there's, you know, they're and praying they're at the wall for... and they're just waiting for the 
sun. Yeah. yeah 18 sun, minutes before sunset. Like when the second star appears, they have the time marked and everything. And when that moment comes, it is like New Year's Eve. Like there is this singing that happens, this dancing. People like are just in circles. They're, they're just like people are bringing, I mean, bringing people in wherever they are. It's like, and, and it's like this celebration. Yeah. Like I, the, like the very first time I went, this is actually going to drop a bomb that I cannot answer right now. We don't have time. I had surgery over in Israel, emergency surgery uh, for another day. We'll have that story another day. And the surgeon was like, you can't move. You can't like you or you will come apart. You know, your stitches and stuff. It was so compelling. I had to. I was like, if I have to go back to the hospital and get re-stitched up, it's so it. be it. And who I loves this story? To dance, Please, can you know? I tell this story? <laughs> I, we were there last year and I had ran into oh. Anthony Sweat, who was a dear friend of mine. And we were sitting there talking together. And there's a, where the most the dancing takes place is right next to the wall. But there's a place where you can stand aside from it. And I was talking to Anthony there. And, He's like looking over and he's like, and then there's that one Jewish man who loves this night more than anyone else. Do you see him more than anyone else in that whole courtyard? And then he looks deeper and then he's like, is that Dave Butler? (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was David just having the time of his life. But this is what I love about that too, is it is every age. I am so intrigued and I have been since we came home, that one of the groups, the largest groups there is the rising generation. Oh yeah. It is the kids from the high school and the colleges that meet up there on that night to welcome in the Sabbath. I said to David, can you imagine if our youth were like on Saturday night, hey, you guys, what are you guys doing tonight? We are welcoming in the Sabbath. Yeah. And we're all meeting there together. And this is just what we do is we like, welcome in the Sabbath. It, it was so like, in my mind, I was like, it's shifting. It's shifting. Cause they actually yeah. like treat it as if it was a gift from God. Like one of his best, like yes. almost like in the seven days of creation, he's just like, like, you know, at Christmas time, your parents like saved the trip or something for yeah. last. It's like, yes. or whatever, you know, like yeah. the best gift last. And it's like, God's like, I'm going to save my very, very best gift for last. And it's, it's how that everybody treats it. Yeah. They're just like, they do my, and I think it and may they become... invite you into it because there right. are rules. There's certain things you can and can't eat. There's certain ways you do or don't cook. You can't have electricity. You can't use the elevator. They and they live it. They're not like, oh, we better not do that in case we like offend someone. Like we yeah. have all these people who are not Jewish staying in the hotel, so maybe this hotel shouldn't do it. But instead, their personality is like, oh. We are going to actually invite you in to celebrate the Sabbath the way we celebrate the Sabbath. Like, come in. And they're not embarrassed by it. They're like, they're like, they want you to be in awe of how they celebrate it. Right. And to experience what the gift actually is. Yes. Right. It was like, there was an intention for this day. And like, there are just like, like, like the soul requires certain things in order to experience the rest and wholeness and harmony that like we long for. Like we need it. Yes. We need it. It's not just like a nice thing. It's like a soul actually will begin to fracture. It will fray. It will notice that it's not receiving Sabbath. Like 
It was yeah. given to us for that purpose. And, they, and they're not ashamed of like, oh, you know, you actually need this. Yes. And like, it's a gift for us to invite you in. And us. you love that it really does start the night before. It starts the night before at the wall with that welcoming in the Sabbath. But the other thing that I love, if you're not at the wall, if you're at home, it is the job of the women in the family to welcome in the Sabbath. So you don't have to live in Jerusalem to welcome the Sabbath in. This is happening in homes everywhere. And they will have two candles. Um, when we were in Israel the last time, I bought two olive wood candles because I love doing this at our home. Each candle signifies something. One is to keep the Sabbath and one is to remember him on the Sabbath. That's what you're doing. Remembering God and, and his great things. And also reminding yourself to actually keep or reverence or revere the Sabbath. Treasure, almost. Yeah. Like you keep treasure, and right? So cool. It's the job of the mom or the oldest woman in the house, whoever is there. But don't you love that these girls are like learning that Sabbath rhythm of it. from yeah. their mom? And she will light both candles. And then if you ever get a chance to be in a Jewish home or... Uh, go to Israel or Jerusalem and watch this. You'll you'll see it take place. They will light these candles, and then the the woman will three times draw that light from the candles in. And I just love that mm -hmm. thought of that reminder. Um, it's it's a little bit also a reminder. It's called an eshet kail um, of a woman of valor of of that light that is just coming into her life because of what the Sabbath is going to bring into her life. And we love this idea of elevating the Sabbath. And so we've actually, in your workbooks, given you this, um, this worksheet. And one thing that I love that we're doing this year, you might not have noticed this yet, but in the app, you can find these to print as many of these as you want. Um, also in the newsletter for this lesson, this PDF will be in there. So if you can do it with a class, like if you wanted to hand these all out to your gospel doctrine or your, uh, if you're doing a youth class, I'm doing these every week with my youth class and they, my kids love them. So what, let me show you how this works. But when I was filling mine out in my book, I was like, oh, I wish I didn't use my book because I loved the experience so much. And then I was like, oh wait, I can just actually print this out every Saturday if I want to. So what this is, is this fun, like it's a maze, which is, these mazes are um, part of Christian culture in a lot of places um, as a meditation, a form of meditating, sometimes for prayer. But we thought it would be fun to split this into four places of um, what, what should a Sabbath include? God, prayer, loved ones, and rest. And what if you were actually intentional about creating what that would look like. So I just started in the middle and I came out of this, it's like a little maze. And I'm gonna start my morning with prayer. That's what I always do. And the next thing I do on Sabbath mornings is I spend time in scripture. And because I don't have kids at home anymore, I actually spend a lot of time in scripture on Sunday mornings. It's the day where I can really just lean into scripture. So I will do that. Um, there, I will have a reflection playlist that is part of my morning, that is just my Sunday only playlist. Um, I'm going to be praying at lunch. I'm going to be praying at dinner. I I'm going to go through that. There's going to be church is going to be part of the rhythm of this day. When I get home from church, I wish I was a napper. I'm not. I would love to take a Sunday nap, but my brain does not want to slow down. 
So I do schedule like a quiet reflection, sit down into what that day looks like. This Sunday, we're going to be celebrating my dad's birthday. And so we're going to have a, a celebration dinner, which will be so fun with loved ones. Um, I've got a group of really dear friends that I meet with for a Jesus book club that will come over this Sunday. And I always end my day with a gratitude prayer on Sundays. That just is the routine of my week. It's the one day where I just list through. But as I was filling this out, I thought it's so interesting that if we just take a time to be intentional, we can make sure we're including God and prayer and loved ones and rest in a way that is going to like invite in that peace, that rest that we're just desperate for. And it's interesting how like someone will think maybe the Sabbath candles aren't for me or whatever, but it's just the idea of like, what am I going to do that's intentional that sets this day aside for like the intention that it was given. And I feel like these are some of the scriptural intentions that, you know, that God gives, you know, for us to really like, oh, to love that day. And to set it apart. Right. Yeah, that's what I love like, about the candles there is they actually set that day apart. Um, the odds that I'm ever home on a Saturday night, 18 minutes before sundown, isn't always true. But I usually will light these at some point during my Sabbath to just be like, oh, I do want to keep and remember this day. Yeah. You know, and, and whatever that looks like for you. Yeah, so awesome. This is okay. your favorite one. I named this one, you guys. Knock, knock. Um, this fourth segment, um, w- this is something similar to what we've seen um, in the Sermon on the Mount. But there's something about this that I think is really neat, the way that Luke tells this. So this is in Luke chapter 11. That, Should I go? Um, yeah, go to this one. This is the fill in the blank here at the beginning of Luke 1, where it just says, I thought it was awesome that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he stopped, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. And I think that's really sweet that they observed something that he was doing. And they were like, wait, I hold on. You do that differently than we do that. And I would really love to learn a little bit more about that. And, and so he does. And, and then you'll find that pattern of the Lord's Prayer again um, in Luke, the Luke version of it. But I do love that um, this thought, that we maybe didn't do too much when we did it last time was that he just begins with relationship, you know? Like, I just like that it's the very mm-hmm. first line is a relationship line, our father, you know? And then there's other elements that, that we could like really spend a whole lot of time on. But I just, I think it's just interesting. Is like, as you enter into a prayer relationship, I want you to enter into that. I mean, into prayer, I want you to enter into relationship, relationship. because there's something that like, um, a lot of us know, uh, and we're lucky to have good fathers. Hopefully everyone has a father figure of some kind that you just like, you learn what that kind of means, you know, to, to have a father, you know, where you're just like, do they give you everything that you want? No, no, fathers don't do that. Mm-hmm. Are they far more liberal than you expect? Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, do they have guidelines? Sure, yeah, because they're guidelines of of love. Do they yeah, ever do any? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do they do things that hurt you? No, no. Dads don't do that. And so I just love that his teaching really couches it in that relationship of father. He was just like, remember a father, you know, um, and everything that is implied in that. And then his next analogy right after that is a one of a friend. 
in verse 5, and he says, if you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. Who calls their friend friend, by the way? That's so weird. Um, because Remember Grace's one mission companion who did, and oh, I loved it friend. so much. Yeah. She called her, what did she, yeah, she did, she called her friend. Yeah. It was so cute. It was the most tender thing I've ever seen in my life. I was okay. like, I want to start doing well, that. Well, uh, there, it's, her. There's, it's scriptural. Um, you can. And then he says, like, I've got people coming over and there's nothing for me. And then back then, you know, like people slept in the same house, like, like in the same room or whatever. So if the dad woke up to like bake bread for his friend, it, it would wake everybody up. It would be yes. like a major inconvenience, you know, or whatever. And at first he's just like, don't, don't bother me right now. Cause it's, um, it's Midnight. the door shut. The kids are asleep. <laughs> you know, like I can't, I can't do that for you. And then he says in verse eight, I say to you though, he will not rise and give him because he's his friend, yet because he needed it, he's going to do that for him. He's actually going to rise up and, and create an inconvenience because his friend is in need. And he's just like, obviously there's some breakdowns there with the analogy or whatever, but I think Jesus is like, listen, he is like that friend who is going to be inconvenienced in order to help you out. He is like a father. He's just fleshing out this what it looks like to be in prayer and relationship with with a friend and a father. And I love you know? too that he's showing us, you know what, your life, your mortal life is gonna include midnight moments. Yeah. And urgency. You know, you're and gonna have those urgent prayers where you're gonna come and you're gonna import tune. All of a sudden that was a really big scripture word. Still is. Um, <laughs> and um, you know you're gonna beg that that is going to be true of some of your mortal prayers and i want you to remember who you're coming to it's not a stranger it's not a judge sitting behind a bench it's not it, it's like right. it's me yeah it's and, me and it's neat that that friend there's no hesitation in that friend who knocks on the door he like yes. knows like i'm actually permitted to knock to knock at this hour right like i maybe not for everybody but I can for him. I know? can remember sitting um, in a conversation with someone who was going through a really hard thing. And um, I probably was in my 20s. And this older man who was like in his 60s said to the person, you call me in the next three days if you need me. I don't care what time it is, day or night. I don't care. I expect a phone call. And then he said this, my phone rings the same at two o'clock in the afternoon as it does at four in the morning. And I was like, hmm. that's so interesting to be like, still the same ring. Yeah. Whether it's at two o'clock in the afternoon or it's four in the morning, it's still serving its same purpose. And I was like, I want to be, I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person where I'm like, oh yeah, my phone rings the same at 4 a.m. as it does at 2 p.m. Use it. Like, if you need me, use it. Yeah. Mine doesn't ring like that, but, um, <laughs> but God's does. No, that's actually really sweet because it's like, you actually should know that this is the kind of friend yes. and father that he is, that he takes midnight. Yeah. I calls. loved that man yeah. in that instant. I was like, I will, you, I am now endeared to you for the rest of my life. Cause like about a year ago, I ran out of gas on the freeway. First timer, everybody, even though Jenny thinks it's going to happen to me every single week, because I go down to beyond empty. It's just my spirit says to. But um, <laughs> I ran out of gas and I was like, who do you call when like, I have a really, really big contact list, but it gets smaller if you're like on the side of the freeway. Yeah. You know, like I can't like call everybody anymore. 
If I was on the side of the freeway in winter, it gets even smaller. Yeah. If I'm on the side of the road in winter and it's midnight, it goes down to like, Two it people. just keeps going smaller and smaller yeah. and smaller. And I love that Jesus is like, you just have to know God's always on the list. He's always on the contact list, no matter the situation, time of day or conditions that yeah. you're in. That's, Which I love that. Uh, and that does bring so much rest and assurance yeah, knowing and confidence. There's someone just knowing that's you can always is. call. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always. This scripture is a little tricky um, that we're going to go to next. And sometimes people are like, I don't really understand this part of Jesus. So um, I, I think it's fun to dive into it and think about what is he actually teaching us here? Um, I'm going to be in Luke 9, 57 through 62. And he starts out this and, and he says this, it came to pass as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man doesn't even have anywhere to lay his head. So are you sure you want to follow me? Because this is like what your life is going to look like a little bit unexpected, right? Um, out of the ordinary, like we, we don't ever know what we're doing day to day. And he said to another, follow me. But he was like, oh, I can't yet. I have to go bury my dad first. And um, then Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I want to follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And we accidentally can read this and start thinking to ourselves, oh, Jesus is like, if you're going to be part of my life, let go of your entire family. And, and those relationships are not important to me. And actually do not think that's the lesson that he's teaching here. Um, for me, I have written at the top of my margin in 57, focus on the word follow. And I just want you to think about that for a minute. Don't think about the family. Don't think about the jobs. Don't think about the things that were going on. I want you to think about the word follow, because I think that's the lesson that he was trying to teach the people is, okay, what does it actually look like to follow? In the olden days before cell phones, um, we would have two cars in our family and we would get in the car and my dad would say, follow me, the guy, the person who was driving in the car behind, which a lot of times was me, particularly when we were in California on our mission and we had too many people. My mom and dad would go in the first car. I'm the oldest child. I would go in the second. I don't know if anyone's driven in California before, but it's a little tricky, but also Anyone who knows my dad knows he's not a great lead car because he'll run red lights. He turns corners super fast. He's, he will like pass people who are going too slow. And so if you're like the person behind, you're like, I cannot take my eye off my dad if he is the lead car because I won't get where we're going in the end. And if I look down even for a second, we, my dad could be, anywhere by that point and there's no way we were ever going to find him again and I think this is part of what Jesus was saying is like there's a really good chance if you get distracted you're gonna lose me and I sometimes wonder if when he's teaching this lesson to those people live they were the same as us where they were like oh wait a minute don't you want me to like love my father wait oh wait don't you want me to like shouldn't I be like worried about doing this with my wife and my kids. And I think there might've been a moment when he was like, okay, this is actually not going 
in the direction that I was planning. So here in verse 62, let me just try and explain to you what I'm teaching you about follow. And then he says this, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And in order to understand this well, it's better if you're a farmer, which most of those people would have been in that day. They would have been like, oh, okay, I get what you're saying because you'll notice one person is his hand to the plow. The other person is not in this picture. And if you're on the podcast, I will explain to you what's happening because the guy who doesn't have his hand to the plow is actually looking down at the ground. But the one who has his hands on the plow is looking forward. Um, if you've ever mowed um, or been a farmer, you know that if you're going to set a straight line, you have to put your eye straight ahead of you. And you, if you lose that point, it doesn't matter what you do. I, mow, I love mowing the lawn. It's my favorite thing to do. If I am not strict with that first line, it throws off the whole entire yard. And I think that's what he's saying is, I'm actually not talking about burying your dad. And I'm not talking about saying goodbye to your parents. I'm actually talking about the kind of focus I need when you are following me is going to be like, you got to have your eye on the end goal. That's what I need you to have. I, I need you to don't look down. Just like, follow me because I'm going to take you somewhere you couldn't get on your own. And I love that part of rest is learning to follow him well. Yeah. And, and I love that in all those occasions, it's sort of like, he's sort of saying the kingdom of God's in the future. Mm. You know, like, we're quit going looking, better. Yeah, we're going to, don't quit looking back or it'll make you like crooked with where we're trying to go. Like, I know the way what happened before or whatever, but like get your eyes forward and put them on to me, yeah. right? And he's like, in my mind, whenever I read this, he's just like, and when your eyes on me, I'm going to actually tell you, go to your dad's funeral. Yes. And bury him and go say bye to your friends and stuff well, like that. Well, like, and I'll go with you. Yeah, right. Like follow me to the funeral. But like the intention is almost like a little bit like, it's almost like he's being a little bit dramatic so that people are like, huh? Yes, and he's what? like, listen, the point is follow, put your eye on me, right? Um, instead of all these other things. And so we wanted to start with that and then just go over to Luke 11. Um, that was in Luke 9, 62, that one. But in Luke 11, uh, 34, he gives words, um, similar pr thing, where he says, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when the eye is single on me, the light, your whole body is full of light. He's just like, take advantage of this moment that you have in front of you mm. to fill your life with light. Or in other words, to fill your life with me is what he says. And he just says, if your whole body therefore be full of light, um, it, it will be just like a, a candle that just like, you know, fills and everything is, is what he's going through. And then he gives us analogy right after or a story that happens right after. Is, but before you go there, because oh, I just love yeah. this one spot. No, I'm not even going to go here. You made me think of something oh. else. It's so interesting in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where he's like, and my burden is. Oh, light. Light. Yeah. And, like, and look how he describes it. Let me show you what light is. If your eye is single to me, if you're yoked with me, this is like what we're going to pull together. And is, it, will, it will illuminate every other part of your 
story in every yes. other part of what you're doing, right? He says, fill your life with light. And he, I am the light of the world, he says, right? And then it will illuminate everything else. Um, as a caution, he says, right after this Pharisee comes and he says, I noticed that um, your people aren't uh, washing their hands before dinner. <laughs> and this was a ritual act, not like a... <laughs> But like after the bathroom or something yeah. like that, um, even though that's part of the ritual too. But where he's just like, he says, you're not, watch, you're not washing the way you're supposed to wash in order to be a part of this. And the Lord says, now you make clean, this is verse 39, the outside of the cup, but it's the inward part that I am most worried about. 41, rather give of what's inside you to God, like, and what he's just trying to teach them is that you're so focused on all these other mm. things, the outside appearance and the rituals and all the rules. And he's just like, the number one thing is follow me, look to me, do life with me. Yeah, I love that right? so much. And we love that when you look back over this lesson, in essence, it is a how to find rest lesson. And it's going to come from deep trust and from grace. And from honoring the Sabbath and prayer and following Jesus, that's how rest is going to come. We love that in the most recent conference, President Nelson actually gave us an invitation, a call out for rest in our life. And I just want to end with his words about rest. He says, despite the distractions and distortions that swirl around us, you can find true rest, meaning relief and peace even amid your most vexing problems. As we strive to live the higher laws of Jesus Christ, our hearts and our very natures begin to change. The Savior lifts us above the pull of this fallen world by blessing us with greater charity, humility, generosity, kindness, self-discipline, peace, and rest. And then he ended with this, as you let God prevail in your life, which I, is this yes, that which we is, were just saying, yeah, well, it's or all, all of, of it, this. right? Yeah. Yeah. If you let this prevail in your life, he says, I promise you greater rest. That's what I promise you. And I just love that we can like bank on the words of a prophet that he was like, what, what he gifted us and what he invited us into in this most recent general conference is rest. Yeah. And how are we doing? Like we're, we're coming right up on conference again. And I just want to look back at the last six months of my life and think, did I heed the prophet's invitation? And have I learned how to bring rest into my life? And if I haven't, maybe I'll spend the next couple weeks like practicing this. Yeah. And then like this invitation is, okay, and then look forward, right? The past is the past. Yeah. Right? Yeah, look the, forward. Yeah. I love that. that like, don't look at what has not worked so far, but starting today. Right. Every day better right. Right. from here. And just like, oh, what was that line that was in there? Say that last, did you already lose that last quote where um, he's just like. I the I promise you greater. Yeah, right before it. What was, um, oh, let God prevail. As you prevail. let God prevail right. in your life. I, and I just love that. With that, Jesus says it in that different way with light, where he's just like, just your intention and your desire, if it. If it's on me, yeah. this is the this yes. is the end result of what that will be. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah. So many good things to teach this week. Yeah, so awesome. Okay, see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. 
Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.